Oregon is going to have a lot of newcomers on the roster next year. What, what does that say about what Dan Lanning sees in this team right now? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why if you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, wherever you listen to or watch this show. Big shout out to everybody who has done so already. And big shout out once again to my man, John Garcia Jr., our recruiting insider here at the Locked On Podcast Network. Three Pete on the way is the mantra there on the uh, the, <laughs> the whiteboard. I mean, it's a valid question to ask, and I tell you what, it do, we we don't feel as bad here. I was going to say Oregon's we should have known. We should have known from that point. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, we, got the, perhaps. we got the indicator right out of the gate, and we just said, "Oh, okay. Well, it's because Oregon has work to do." No, no, no. No, no it's just because it's just because Georgia's way better than. Uh, than everybody else at, at this point in time. Don't tell that to Nick Saban, though. He'll get very grumpy and, and grouchy. Very, yeah, very grumpy Pollock, and grouchy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, don't think, yeah. Uh, I don't think he was a big fan of Pollock's comments. But, you know, a ticked-off Nick Saban may make for a very entertaining 2023 football season, which Oregon will be going into, John, with not not some new players, not a lot of new players, but, like, a lot, a lot of new players. And there's still more time for this. This is a crazy thing. The portal is open for another week in this window. There's another portal window after spring football. I mean, we could still see more change. I don't think in the numbers that we've seen to this point, but what do you make of the, the number of new players Oregon will have on the roster next year between transfers and prep players? Yeah, we're approaching 40 on that front. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I know during the Natty broadcast, uh, Chris Fowler mentioned how TCU is going to have like 40 new players. And I, I just think it's the new norm. This is, it's a win now. It's always been a win now sport, but more than ever, that window is is shrinking for everybody, both perceptionally, momentum, whatever you want to label it as. It's about a year to year roster as opposed to the traditionalist that says, oh, well, you bring in a bunch of guys, you develop them, you, you make them stick around. And, and yeah, you'd like that idealistically, but it's just not in the player-friendly, mobile, fluidity era of college football. It's about the year-to-year sample. And obviously, uh, bringing in a lot of players says two things. One, you probably inherited a roster that did not exactly match what you want to do long-term. I think that was true. We've seen a ton of transition from that Mario Cristobal staff. But on the other side of it, you've attracted a higher level. You've attracted a bigger group of prospects both in high school and the portal that want to jump in and they sense that true momentum it's true for tcu like the broadcast talked about it's certainly true for oregon with what dan landing has been able to accomplish and i think that extended recruiting footprint has a big uh part in that conversation too because just the high school class is approaching 30 by itself at this point and there's still some some more you know big names uh to to be determined here uh in the next couple weeks so on that front, you understand the increased interest. And in the portal, it's it's always unique, right? Um, do you do you overhaul the roster through the portal or do you just try to fill those holes? And I think you see a little bit of both with this Oregon group that's currently 
on board. There are many personal connections, but overall, I think it's more of a positional feel. Uh, you, you've hit some areas that that needed to be addressed uh, as soon as possible. And obviously, the portal players offer you just a little bit more comfort in bringing them in. So that window uh, closing in the next week and then the other window opening will still be pretty darn fluid. But I think it just says that it's a, a modern program that this is a program that is going to hit the ground running and use all of the current most up-to-date available resources in doing so from a year to year really a semester to semester basis and that is the name of the game in college football for everybody trying to catch georgia trying to catch alabama ohio state and some of these programs that find their way into the playoff uh, seemingly every year yeah, and right now Oregon's got eight transfers coming in, couple offensive linemen, couple linebackers, Evan Williams, Bennett Williams' younger brother from Fresno State. I'll be talking about him tomorrow on uh, the show and what he brings to the table there. That's the latest transfer edition for the Ducks at the safety position, which was uh, definitely a position of need, especially with the unknown futures of guys like Steve Stevens and uh, Jamal Hill, Brian Addison uh, as well. But is it almost – is there any? Is there such a thing as – is too big of a recruiting class too many players that that you're adding because Oregon is adding a lot here for for a 10-win team I think it's it's even more unusual right like USC added a bunch last year and they were a four-win team and then they won 11 games this year Oregon was a 10-win team in 2021 a 10-win team in 2022 now here comes Lanning and he's just bulldozing the front door and tearing the house down to down to the foundation yeah, I think two fronts here. One, you've gone through that coaching transition, and the success has brought upon more coaching transition. So I think that is part of the reasoning here. These philosophies have been changed and then tweaked thereafter. You know, the the twenty twenty two season success, particularly on the offensive side, with Dillingham's departure and Will Stein's arrival. So I think that's part of it, and and we've seen almost an uptick of momentum. You know, since those staff changes were sort of finalized but again i just think it's about winning right now and you're bringing in players with in some cases minimal eligibility remaining and in some cases maybe an extra year or so i don't see a lot of guys on the surface level let me scan this list so i don't look stupid i don't see a lot of guys that have a bunch of eligibility remaining in terms of these transfer portal targets i do think a lot of these guys are jumping in to say hey if I play my cards right in this change of scenery, I will elevate my own stock while winning a bunch of games along the way. And, and then I'll, I'll make another decision at that point. Um, so it, it's mutually beneficial when this is sort of the target. Now, I think for other programs that aren't as successful as Oregon, you see similar overhauls, but it's with a lot of young players, right? I think Wisconsin's a great example. They're doing that right now, bringing in a lot of youth to supplement uh, some of some of the returning players under Luke Fickle during that coaching transition. That's more typical of this type of volume. But again, the modern era is suggesting that this is one of the ways to do it uh, from a sustainability standpoint. Uh, so I do think these are going to be key additions. Uh, the portal players in particular are brought in for seemingly very specific reasons uh, when we scan these names. Yeah, I think typically when you go to the transfer portal, you're looking for guys who have got at least some experience, but who you think are going to come in and start right away. Whereas when you're recruiting at the high school ranks, it's always been the case. And I, I think, frankly, always will be right. High school recruiting is not going away. It's not going to become less important. But most of those guys, not all, but most of them are 
kind of longer term plays. They need a year or two maybe to adapt to the college schemes, adapt to the college speed of the game, get in the weight room, get in an eating program, bulk up a little or slim down depending on, on what a player needs to do in the eyes of the coaching staff to be able to see the field and maximize all of his talent. Speaking of slimming up or down, there's been a lot of discussion between myself and many of you Duck fans out there about Nicholas Harbour and whether or not he would bulk up to play defense or if he would stay slimmer, run track, and play offense. The Ducks are still after him. You can bet I'm going to ask John about that, and you can't bet that at Bet Online, but you can find just about everything else because it's your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From pro football to college bowl season to basketball and the World Cup, they've had it all, and they will continue to have it all at BetOnline.com. If you love sports podcasts like this one, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. And we continue along with John Garcia Jr., our recruiting insider here at the Locked On Network, with an update, hopefully good news, on the Nicholas Harbor front. He's... He's just the sort of athlete, no matter which side of the ball he's playing on, I'd rather he play defense, but if he came to play offense, I would take that as well. Jim Harbaugh kind of playing into this uh, discussion a little bit? Yeah. uh, A lot of people are viewing Michigan, especially when you throw in academics on top of everything else, and that's very important for for Harbaugh that he's stressed at every opportunity. A lot of people look at Michigan as a bit of a dark horse. They've gotten them on campus multiple times, including for an official visit. Uh, the The perception of that program has changed dramatically over the last uh, 14 months in particular, uh, getting to the playoff the last two years. So uh, there is there is a lot of eyeballs uh, regarding the Nicholas Harbor recruitment uh, relative to, to Michigan. I think South Carolina and Maryland are sort of the mainstays in this thing. Oregon is viewed as – Watch out for this visit. It's coming at the end of January. He, he talks differently when the Ducks come up. So if, if everything hits in, in the right order, Oregon will be that third mainstay. And Michigan, again, was viewed as that dark horse that, hey, you know, if he's going to buck the trend, it, it could be with Michigan. So with the news of Jim Harbaugh being sought after by multiple NFL teams, which is new this year relative to last year where it was just about that Minnesota Vikings interview, which I guess the Vikings are happy they um, – they did not they did not hire him with you know they've got a heck of a playoff run seemingly ahead now it feels different uh there's now a sense that it's just a matter of time before Harbaugh jumps back up into the NFL as to where last year it was this juxtaposition of do you make the jump while you're hot or do you build on what was your best season at at Michigan which somehow they did they did build upon. I thought they, they had a much better year um, from, from a continuity standpoint in 2022. So now there's more of a sense of we've accomplished a lot at Michigan. So now do you move forward and, and jump into the league? So I think that will be a huge ripple effect uh, type of deal because there's no clear next man up at, at Michigan uh, if that move was to happen. And obviously the clock is ticking, right? National Signing Day isn't just about three weeks, that traditional first Wednesday in February, which falls on the first this year. Um, so I think that'll factor in plenty to this Nicholas Harbor recruitment. And it could coincide with that Oregon visit, which is right before he makes that decision in theory, if he comes off the board 
February 1st. Uh, so the positioning uh, and the current positioning of Oregon's trip is, is about as good as you could have hoped for, and there's still no record of another visit materializing. Maybe Miami is, is the last thing Nicholas told us at the Under Armour All-America game week, uh, but nothing set in stone. As of right now, because of track and his other obligations, Oregon is the only official visit between now and when he actually comes off the board. So if that coincides with a move at Michigan, I think the Ducks' chances increase maybe two or threefold, and it becomes a three-team race between the Ducks, uh, the the Maryland Terrapins, which is the in-state school, and South Carolina, which is one that he has frequented sort of the most uh, behind the scenes. So, so I think it will be a, a very weird final three, uh, but one when you when you factor in the timing of the visit, track and fields priority level, uh, which, again, I think he's more likely to stay trim and run track out of those scenarios you presented. I think all of those things bode really well for the trajectory of the Ducks in this recruitment. <clears throat> Tracktown USA. <clears throat> Sorry, I had, to, I had to clear my throat there just in case Nicholas or any of his family members or friends are watching or listening to this particular show. <clears throat> Tracktown Pizza. Okay, so... Uh, moving on to uh, a transfer target that, that Oregon is looking at, a guy who I'm sure you remember from just a couple of recruiting cycles ago. His, uh, his name is Jordan Birch. He went to South Carolina. He was a very highly sought-after recruit, one of the 10 best in the country on 24-7. Don't know where you guys had him on SI. I assume in that similar Same sort ballpark. of range. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's on the Ducks' radar. Dan Lanning was his primary recruiter when Georgia was trying to get him coming out of high school. He ended up choosing South Carolina. He went there for two seasons. He hasn't been unproductive, but he hasn't been the sort of Jadavian Clowney type player that they were hoping he would be. So first, John, what do you make of the idea of adding a guy like that who had a lot of hype out of high school, but so far at the college level ha has been fine, but underwhelming based on the standards that had kind of been set by the recruiting hype? Look, I think that kind of predicates why he, he's hitting the portal. I think there's some thought, at least in his camp, that it's the situation that he's been put in um, and, and the coaching staff that's been around him that has potentially stunted uh, some of that momentum. We, we have seen flashes. You know, I think, um, you know, or I know South Carolina wanted him to stay on the roster. There was some back and forth before he hit the portal, which is why he was such a late addition uh, to the transfer portal relative to a lot of these guys that, that have jumped in it. Uh, so I think that's a big, that's a big deal, right? The trajectory is still certainly moving up. Uh, the arrow is still pointed up with Jordan Birch. I think he's an inside out player. Uh, and I think in Dan Landing's scheme, there's, there's just been a lot of continuity with those players making huge plays. We saw it last year at Georgia with, with the Jalen Carters and um, Devontae Wyatt's of the world. Uh, he's been able to do it at Oregon, and Brandon Dorless just announced he's coming back. You know, these inside-out kind of tweener guys uh, are really in, in Dan's wheelhouse, and it's a, it's, a, it's a friendly position within this defense. Uh, and obviously Georgia was very much under consideration. A lot of people thought Birch was going to end up at UGA in the end, so he ends up saying no to Dan Landing on the front end and joining South Carolina. So now on the back end, especially with a visit in the books, there's a sense that Oregon could be a major player in this Birch recruitment. But George is in the conversation, and now obviously they have time to go back home and potentially host him for visits. A bunch of other schools want in on this recruitment. So uh, it's a, it's definitely an uphill battle for everybody trying to, to win this sweepstakes. But in terms of the fit and the precedent, 
there's a lot going for Oregon because of its scheme and obviously its head coach and relationship builder in Dan Landing. So I, I wouldn't count him out. Um, and, and there's another sense that this thing could end soon. And I think that's even better news for the Ducks. It could maybe it's a Georgia Oregon battle. You know, it's a Dan Landing type of battle in that regard, uh, which I think is a, another positive sign for the Ducks in terms of where they're going versus where they're at right now. Cause obviously this Georgia thing looks like uh, it looks like the next dynasty in the sport. They, they're certainly playing like that right now. And it makes it very appealing. And a lot of people have, you know, in the national college football media landscape, I've heard talk about how, well, you know, the portal is helping to even things out because players are, you know, leaving these high level programs and going to smaller ones because they want playing time. And th- there's some truth to that, but I'd be curious what the numbers are of, highly rated or high impact players going from small schools to the big programs like a Georgia and Alabama or, or USC compared to players who weren't playing as much that go to smaller schools and are now able to make more of an impact because I, I see what those people are saying with, you know, you can get a player who, you know, Bo Nix, for instance, right, goes from, I don't think Amherst necessarily a bigger program than than Oregon is, right, from a branding perspective, but they're certainly comparable, and Bo Nix wasn't as good there, comes to Oregon, one team's trash is another team's treasure. But then you have other situations like Dorian Singer at Arizona, really good player, second team all Pac-12, and he decides to go to USC. So I think there's a lot of, of push and pull there. But you mentioned the, the timeline a little bit. Do you think that he will for sure come off the board by the time the first transfer portal window closes on January 18th? There's a sense that he will. Uh, and I think that's huge news, again, for Oregon because he hasn't taken many visits. And I will say Jordan's very good at keeping things close to the vest. Like like we said, there was a long portion of the recruiting cycle when he was coming out that thought, hey, this is Georgia's race to lose maybe all the way uh, until until he ended up at South Carolina. So and now they've won a national championship. Yeah, and, or two. So now there's <laughs> now there's you know some some behind the scenes stuff going on there. But again, visit wise, you know we know about the Oregon trip. We don't know about many others. You know, so I think that is really where you start to look at this thing. And when you're talking about somebody looking for a new situation. Um, going across the country starts to make more sense, right? Um, obviously, if he goes from South Carolina to Georgia, he's going to play South Carolina. You know, how much of that, you know, from a business perspective, does he want to deal with? You know, these, these are additional layers to the conversation that you know come up in these conversations between, you know, Jordan and every other elite portal player and their families, their representation, whoever's involved in the decision-making process. So that'll be fascinating to see. Um, and the good news is, yeah, the, this window's got a week left. So we're going to find out with with Jordan and I think a lot of players how, how quickly uh, this thing is, is going to be put to bed. Uh, but there's no shortage of options for him. So if he wanted to slow it down and, and go a little bit longer, I think uh, a lot of schools would be okay with that. One more player to ask about on, on the recruiting front, John. Roderick Pleasant was, I think, the last visitor that Oregon had, at least of note, during this season. It was sometime, I think it was late November, early December, sometime around there, where he visited the campus. And this is a guy who's a four-star cornerback. Oregon certainly can use some bodies there, though they're starting to get more and more in the secondary. But you never say no to having a guy of, of his talent on your roster. 
He recently released a top five this late in the recruitment, which I, is I heard the question mark in that in that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, unusual to say the least. I remember around this time last year, Jalil Florence was down to USC and Oregon, and there were a couple other uh, you know players that that Oregon was going after that were down to Oregon and one or two other schools. But Pleasant listed five potential. Are, are there really five in the running for him? He says as much, so we'll take him for his word. But no, I don't expect five schools to to truly be under consideration at this point. He is coming off the board February 1st. That is set in stone. So to be considering five schools three weeks from that date is a little bit advantageous, even for an L.A. kid and a teenager that's got a lot of options. Look, this one has felt much more narrow than five for a long time. No disrespect to Boston College or Cal. But really, it's been viewed as kind of Oregon, USC, and it's gone back and forth between the two with UCLA presenting as a dark horse. You know, with, with their run on the field and in recruiting, folks are not overlooking the Bruins late in the game for anybody, especially for an L.A. kid like Pleasant. But but here's the thing. Oregon got that late visit that you mentioned late in 22, and track is a priority here, a huge priority for Pleasant, who's one of the fastest players in the country. So those factors have a lot of confidence on the Oregon side of the equation. And then on the USC side, local kid, that that recruiting run and on-field run is obviously not to be ignored. And the Trojans are the only January visit that Rod is going to take. It'll be this weekend uh, out in L.A. So there is a sense that Oregon is the team to beat today, but USC is shifting potentially into that position. So it's really viewed as a two-team battle with a, a sprinkle of UCLA in there as well. So again, no disrespect to Cal and Boston College who made his top five, but it's really kind of a Pac-12 battle among the elites in the conference. And, and I think, again, if if he leaves the state, he'll be a duck for sure. But there's certainly a strong L.A. pool that is rising in perception uh, as we get closer to the decision day. So it'll be close, maybe too close to call by the time we get to signing day, but a lot of eyeballs will be on Pleasant, and the Ducks are absolutely in the thick of it, especially, again, when you consider how much of a priority track is um, to, to the kid himself. Well, the good news is Oregon doesn't have any painful scars from UCLA throwing their hat into the mix on a on a recruiting target. So you know, no, I, I wasn't nothing, gonna bring it up. Nothing, nothing to worry, nothing to worry about there. I mean, I brought it up. Every Oregon fan watching or listening to this show was uh, was was just thinking it. But plenty of recruiting news to follow. There's still another national signing day, and and, and we've got just time for one more question. I hope with uh, my man John Garcia. It feels like this National Signing Day in February has the potential to be kind of the least eventful for for some teams. Oregon feels to me that they're kind of in that mix, that it's going to you know, maybe have a couple players here and there, but that the December Signing Day is, is going to be the one we look back and say, yeah, that's where you know most of the good players came from. Yeah, it's the de facto signing day. I mean, there's really no question at this point. When you think of the players that are available, it's it's probably 20%, maybe less at this point. So from a volume perspective, most programs feel like they're done in December. And then if there's a window in February, you, you try to push and make some moves there. But yeah, for context, most of these classes, especially with established non-rookie head coaches, they're, they're going to be more completed than not uh, at this time. 
Um, I think if you're under transition, you obviously have a bigger window, right? So your Auburn's, your Wisconsin's, uh, your Colorado's under Dion, those schools are going to have more opportunity and room for, for adding more players towards February. But really, you know, uh, last year that was probably a bigger issue for Oregon compared to this year. So really, yeah, Harbor, Pleasant, those are really the last few dominoes to fall. Maybe a Deuce Robinson if if he can make a, a visit out to Oregon. That, that's kind of it. You know, for, for context, we're updating the SI 99 this week uh, at SI. And uh, of the 99 players, 96 are already committed and 90 plus are signed. So really it's just about the small group of elites that are still to be determined, but Oregon is in the mix for as many as, as any big program that we're talking about here down the stretch. I think that is a good sign, but there's no doubt December signing day is the de facto signing day. And February is almost just kind of like a, like a bonus episode. Well, Pleasant and Harbor names to continue to watch on the recruiting trail, and we will continue to watch for every opportunity that we can get. John Garcia Jr., our recruiting insider here at the Locked On Network on the show. John, appreciate the insight as always. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.